Um, also, uh, before we even get started into any of our service today, um, as, as you know, um, there's a lot going on in the world uh, and a lot happened this week um, that uh, is challenging and difficult for us. It's going on in Afghanistan. Um, that last week when we gathered, there was a, a massive earthquake in Haiti. Uh, there was another explosion in Afghanistan this morning. Um, and then a, a, a category four hurricane that's bearing down on Louisiana. And so um, there is a lot happening in the world. And so before we even dive into worship and kind of get going with church and all that stuff, can we just pause for a minute and pray uh, for all of these situations that are happening um, in the world around us? Let's pray together. God, we love you. And Lord, as we gather, Lord, we, we have come to really celebrate your love, but also God, with this sense of heaviness and, and sobriety about uh, the world. And God, there's really change, really challenging, really big things happening. Um, decisions being made by people and Lord, people being in harm's way. And then God, the tragic loss of uh, American military lives this, this uh, week. And God, just so many things happening. And, and, and Lord, people in Haiti and the loss of life there. And, and then God, people this morning that are just bracing for um, this massive hurricane. Uh, in, in Louisiana. And, and God, these situations are too big for us. God, they're too big to carry. They're too big for us to solve. We don't even know how to feel about them other than just to feel the weight uh, of, of just how messed up the world is. Uh, but God, we know that they're not too big for you. And so God, we join our hearts with you and we put our faith in you. And God, we pray that you would be God, that you would move in these situations, that you would show up today for people in need, people who are hurting, families that woke up this morning without loved ones who are coming to terms and grips with loss and, and grief. And God, we just pray, God, that you would meet those families in those places right where they are. Lord, we stand together with our hearts and our faith in you. And Lord, as we jump into service this morning, as we worship you, God, may our heart and our focus be on your love and your grace and your truth and your strength and your power to see us and sustain us through. God, we honor you this morning as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've, uh, I, I've shared before about how much I love movies and film. A anybody else really love movies? Um, I, I, that might sound like a ridiculous question to ask, but my wife hates movies. And so... Um, it, it, Let's just take a poll. Anybody hate movies besides my wife? You're the only one. See, you're alone. You're the only hand. I just want her to feel that, feel that aloneness. That's what we want people to feel in church. Uh, but I love movies and films so much. Like, I, I keep watching, I'll keep watching a movie even when, even when it's bad. Like, it'll get to the end. I'll be like, man, that was a terrible movie, but I finished it, all right? Uh, and, and it may be because I also love popcorn, so maybe it's just a, an, an excuse to keep eating popcorn. Uh, but as we begin today, uh, I, I do have a little bit of a confession, um, because the truth is, is that I don't just like movies. Um, if I'm being honest, I, I'm, a bit, I'm a bit of an actor, because whether we know each other or not, whether we've met personally uh, or, or not, like you, or, or whether just, you're just drawing conclusions about me based on the few minutes that we've been in this room together this morning, if, if I'm just being completely honest, I regularly pretend to be better than I am. Last week, we talked about how Jesus said not to judge. So um, if you're doing that right now, you're not allowed to do that if you're judging me. But seriously, I, I'm not proud of it, but I am an expert in image 
management, at, at trying to control what people think of me, of what you think of me, like regularly trying to come off as more knowledgeable or likable or funny or spiritual or courageous or loving or friendly or more talented or just more all around awesome than I already am or probably could ever actually be. And I have a feeling that I'm not the only one. And maybe you can relate to that because we all have a version of ourselves that we present to the world. I mean, I'm not intentionally phony. I actually, it's really important to me and I work really hard at, at making sure that who I am in public and who I am behind closed doors and in my personal relationship, that that is the same person. But but still, the point remains that, that I want people to think that I'm, slightly be, that I'm a slightly better husband or father or friend or pastor or leader or Christian or just person than I actually am. And the worst part is that most of the time I do it without even thinking about it because it's so much easier to look the part, right, than it actually is to be real and authentic and transparent. Uh, a number of years ago, we were pastoring a church in Northern California and um, my wife and I, uh, Hansi, and, and uh, we had a friend that joined this like exercise class in the morning. We went to the class together and we had actually been going and enjoying it and then she wanted to go along. Um, and, and, and it became apparent like pretty quickly, like she was going every week and started like she did, she like went shopping and she bought these special clothes and then she bought these special shoes and then she had to get these specific socks and then she had to get these little accessories that went with the clothes and the socks and the shoes. And, and then we would get to the class and everybody else would kind of do a little bit of a warm up and we'd go right into the class and start moving and working out. And she would, she would be over on the side, you know, just stretching it out for like a really long time. And it became apparent that she didn't actually want to work out. She just wanted the feeling of going to a workout class and kind of being in a place where people are working out and kind of feeling like, yeah, all right, I did it. Like, I have, have you ever gone to the gym and not worked out and then just left? Like, I, I have. I used to go to the gym with Hansi. Like, we would go over, she'd start working out, and I would just be like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. So I would just go sit on the floor and stretch, and she'd be like, yeah, that guy's really really getting after it over there. I'm going to, maybe got a Diet Coke. I'm a little thirsty. Because uh, we, we often like the idea of being or doing something, but we're just without all the hassle that comes with actually being and doing that thing, right? And, and, and sometimes it's for different reasons. Sometimes it's just to make ourselves feel better. Sometimes it's because we, you know, we want to fit in or we want to, you know, we think like this is what I'm supposed to do. Um, when I became a pastor, like in my head, um, one of the things that pastors do, because every pastor I'd ever known d like does this all the time, is, is golf. And so I was like, well, I'm a pastor, so I just need to like start getting into golf because pastors love to golf and they always golf. And, and, but what I discovered as I got into golf is like I actually hated golfing. Like I, I could not stand it. Like I'm way too ADD to go walk around a golf course for four hours. And like I would play a couple holes and be like, that was kind of fun. Like, can we do something else? Uh, I don't, I don't want to do this, but I just kept doing it. So I got clubs and people thought I was into golf. And so my father-in-law bought me some new golf clubs and people were giving me golf stuff and I was accumulating all this golf stuff. And, and so I got the shoes and the clubs and the clothes and, you know, started learning the rules and the, the lingo and, you know, like all the stuff that goes, and, and I'd go to golf courses and golf courses are beautiful. They're great to hang out on and walk around in and drive a little cart. That's my favorite part, driving a golf cart. Um, and, and I loved being out on the course. The only problem is I hated golfing. 
Like, I just wanted to hang out on the golf course. I would much rather go with a group of people and like talk trash to them and joke around and make fun of them and like eat snacks and drive them around. And I'm like, hey, here's your club. I'll be your caddy. Like, I think being a caddy would be kind of fun. I'd be the worst caddy ever because I'd be like mocking you when you hit a bad shot or whatever. But, but like, I looked like a golfer. I even kind of sounded like a golfer sometimes, but I was not a golfer because I hated playing golf. Or, or have you ever done this little number where, remember when you bought that treadmill or that Peloton or you joined that gym and you got the clothes and you even staged some selfies and pictures for Instagram that really looked like you were working out regularly, right? It's like, do it for the gram. And so we look really good. Like when we were on vacation, like we went to, we were out and, and we saw these girls and we thought they were going to be working out. And they spent like an hour setting up one shot, taking multiple pictures of one shot, just kind of like, no, no, move that over there. No, no, move it back this way. And I was just like, oh my gosh, the all they did, like, you're on the beach. You're like, working. what are you doing? The truth is we're all actors and actresses in one form or another. And so one day Jesus is hanging out in a small, village, a small fishing village called Capernaum. And his disciples are with him. And a giant crowd had sort of gathered around. And so Jesus goes out on a hillside that's overlooking the Sea of Galilee. And he sits down and he delivers this incredible sermon. And at the very end of it, he tells this parable, this story that speaks pretty strongly into our tendency to kind of just dabble in stuff, to kind of know stuff about stuff, to look the part and play the role, but mostly just kind of go through the motions. Because if you were to go back and read the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapters five, six, and seven, you would see that almost the entire sermon was about what to do and how to live. Now, we often think of Jesus as a teacher who teaches the right things to believe in and sort of gives us information and insight about God. But in this specific sermon, his greatest sermon, there, there were some belief parts in it, no doubt, but it was mostly about what to do and how to live. And, and the reason that Jesus so often taught about what to do is because he knew that just knowing things doesn't actually make any difference in our lives. And so the Sermon on the Mount wasn't a bunch of like theories or ideas or religious concepts. It wasn't necessarily about eternity or going to heaven or hell or what happens after we die, although Jesus taught on that stuff for sure. Just not, it just wasn't really central to the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't Jesus telling us what he wanted us to know. He was showing us what God wants us to do. See, God, believe it or not, when we read the scriptures, God isn't impressed with what we know. He's not impressed with our church attendance and our Bible knowledge. Like, and we, we think it matters. Like we, we think like we're, we're getting brownie points or there's like, you know, God's sitting up in heaven taking, taking attendance. Like, oh, you know, Hansi's gone again. She did not make it again. This is like the third week in a row. What is happening? Because we say those things to each other. Life's not going, you know what? You need to get back in church. Your life would go a little bit better. You need to actually get plugged. You know, you, 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 God it would get off your back if you would actually get your act. See, but God's not impressed with that stuff. God's not impressed with the songs that we know or the verses that we've memorized or how many Christian books we've read or all the stuff we listen to or how many posts we make on, Facebook, on our Facebook page. He cares about what you do and how you live. See, Jesus always, always, always taught life application, not knowledge accumulation. 
He didn't care if you knew all the religious stuff and you knew exactly what to do and when to stand when you went to church and when to sit and all the songs and the words and the, what to do. He didn't care about any of that. See, in essence, the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, if you had really big faith in God, here's what you would do. Here's what your life would look like. If you had a perfect faith in God, here's how you would behave. Here's how you would live. Here's how you would act. And so he said things like, if somebody asks you to go a mile, go with them two miles. He said things like, you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, so maybe live like it. If somebody hurts and hates on you and really offends you, just go ahead and forgive them. He said things like, what you do with your eyes and your mind and the words that you speak and the attitudes and intentions of your heart, that it all matters. Like, love your enemies, don't worry, do not judge, that when you see someone in need, that you should give as much as you can. And, you know, like somebody raises their hand, God, you know, okay, should there be a percentage? Jesus is like, no, if, just, just give as much as you can, be generous. He said things like, turn the other cheek and don't store up treasures for yourself on earth, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it was as if Jesus was saying, this is what your life would look like if you lived as if there is a God and he knows your name and you knew he was going to take care of you, this is what your life would be like. The whole message is a bunch of stuff to do, not to gain God's favor and love, but because you already have been loved by God. You already are favored by God. And so then he gets to the very end of the sermon, and this is what he says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So I, I, I love this picture. I, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but the world is pretty shaky and kind of shifty right now. If you came in late at the beginning of the service, the very first thing we did was to pray for everything that's been happening and going on in Afghanistan, to pray for the people of the nation of Haiti who suffered a devastating earthquake last week, to pray for uh, uh, people that are in Louisiana who are facing a category four hurricane. There's like the, like the world, and, and that's just the big stuff that happened this week. Like not to mention all the turmoil around COVID and masks and mandates and government and decisions and elections and people and like all of that stuff. The world feels pretty shaky and shifty right now. There aren't a lot of things that feel really super solid and secure. But regardless of what's happening in the world around us, Jesus is saying there's a way to live your life in wisdom. There's a way that you can engage your life and your family and how you live and what it looks like and your way of being in the world and how you take on and deal with what's happening around you. There's a way to build your life on something that's really, really secure. That there's a foundation that you can actually anchor yourself to. And I think part of what he's saying is like, if you want there to be a difference in your life, right? If you want it to be more than just showing up for church on Sunday, if you want it to be more than just kind of a religious activity that you do, if you want there to be a difference in your life, if you want your faith in me to show up in practical ways, in real ways, in everyday life, if you want to see God show up in your world, this is what you do. This is how you live. This are the things you do not not that you believe not 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 that you know not the things that you say it's what you do see it wasn't jesus wasn't like 
There were people that were like, look, Jesus, I've heard every one of your sermons. He's like, that's amazing. Every one of my sermons. You see, it wasn't how often you go to church. It wasn't even do you tick all the right boxes and believe all the right things. All of those things matter. The thing that will blow up your faith, the thing that will make your faith come alive is when you actually start living it out. See, faith begins with hearing it. Faith begins with understanding, but is incomplete until you do something with it. So you do something about it. And here's why. When you put what Jesus said into practice, and I love that he uses that word practice, it's a declaration of trust. It's an expression of big faith in a big God. It's you going, God, I don't always understand. And when I look at the world around me, it doesn't always make sense. The things that you're asking me to do don't always make sense. It doesn't seem like the world really works like you say it works, but I trust you. And so I'm not going to listen. I'm not gonna listen to the other voices. I'm gonna listen to you and I'm gonna obey you and I'm gonna do what you say. And when we do that, God honors and responds to that trust and that faith because when we live in faith, we experience God's faithfulness in our lives, that God meets our faith with his faithfulness and we actually begin to see God show up in everyday, real, tangible ways. We actually have a stability and a security and a reality that cannot be shaken. It cannot be taken. I have been a follower of Jesus for 35 years, certainly all of my adult life. And here's here's one of the things that I've learned, is that following Jesus, it does not make life easier, but it does make life better. And, and, And it actually makes you better at life. Now, following Jesus actually means doing the things that he said, living how he said to live, which, which isn't always what we want to do. At least it's not always what I want to do. Like, like if you're a Christian, most of the, m- most of the moments where, where we're frustrated at or angry at or disappointed with God, most of those moments come because we believed all the right things and we checked all of the boxes, but it still didn't work out. And we're like, God, I don't know if you're paying attention, but I've been at church and I've been reading the Bible and I've been doing what you said to do and I feel like I believe all the right things and I've been trusting you and I've been praying for you and and yet you still let this happen. The thing is, is that faith is is almost like nutrition. It's almost like fitness. Like you you can know all there is to know, but until you actually do something with it, it doesn't make a bit of difference. You can read all the books, you can memorize all the nutritional information you want, you can be aware of all the ins and outs of biology and metabolism, you can buy your workout clothes, join a gym, schedule a session with a trainer, download the fitness apps, you can buy P90X, you can do all of it, but it will not matter until you actually put it into practice and start doing it. I remember um, one of the first times I went to the gym with Hansi, I was just like, I don't, part of the reason I don't work out is I don't know what machine is best for my body type. And the trainer was like, so I was like, what, what machine's best? He's like, the one that you'll use. Get on it and just go. It's, be- it's better than what you got going right now. By the way, this idea, it's core to how 
like we do church and how I approach teaching the scriptures because I just don't wanna cover material. I don't wanna just like flip to a page, read a passage and try to like cover material and hope that you gain a little bit of knowledge. I want there to be an explosion of God in your life. I want there to be a faith that comes alive in you. I don't want for you to feel like you're coming here and and that somehow what I'm doing is feeding you. I want you to leave hungry and go away and learn how to feed yourself. But the only way that happens is when you do something. That's why we hardly ever go through a Sunday without talking about where do we go from here at the end? What, what do we do with what we're talking about? What does this mean for us? What happens? What do I do on Sunday or on Monday with what I heard on Sunday? See, because God's heart and his intention for you isn't to try to get you to get up early on a Sunday morning and come skit, sit in a school gymnasium for an hour. As much as I enjoy not speaking to an empty room, if it's all you do, just going to church has almost no value. Now, making this a regular part of your life is incredibly valuable. It can be life-changing even if you actually begin doing some, something with the conversations that we're having. Jesus used the word practice. When you put this stuff into practice, you begin to practice the things that God is saying. See, my goal is not to educate you. It's to stir you to a different life, for you to become who God created you to be, for you to begin to live like he created you to live. Because it's not what you know, it's not what you believe, it's what you do with what you know and what you believe. So he continues, verse 25. So he says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Notice the house didn't survive the storm because they knew or they had a working knowledge of storms. The house didn't survive the storm because they knew how to build a house. It survived the storm because they did something. They built the house in a specific way. They built their life in a specific way in a specific place. See, Jesus seems far less concerned with explaining why the storms are happening in our life than he is with actually teaching us how to be resilient in the face of the storm. They, in this story, in this parable, they listened to what God said and they put it into practice and that was the reason they, they were able to sustain through the storm. If you want your life to reflect the power and the beauty and the life of God in your career, in your marriage, in your family, with your kids, in your finances, in the way that you relate to one another, in the way that you, you know, relate to your kids and the relationships that you have with them, you actually gotta do this stuff. You gotta put it into practice because God shows up in tangible ways when our faith expresses itself through what you do and how you live. God meets our faith with his faithfulness and it changes everything. It's the only way that your life and your faith actually survive life's storms. He continues in verse 26. He says, but everyone who hears and I would add, and even believes these words of mine, and does, but does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. See, I, I, part of this is Jesus saying, look, you can read the Bible, and you can go to church every Sunday your whole life, and you can still be a fool. Because your life is only as resilient as what it is built on. It's possible to know and even believe all the right things, 
and build your house, which is your relationships and your family and your finances, and it still be a disaster. I've actually known a quite, quite a few of these people in my life. They were, they were good people. They were good church people. They were Christians. They were well-intentioned. They had invited Jesus into their lives. They knew all the right things. They believed all the right things. They knew the verses. They knew the songs and they knew the lingo. They listened to the Christian radio. Like they had, their life was surrounded by all of the stuff. But they had put so little of what they knew into practice. And Jesus says that when you do that, there is a predictable ending. The storm will come and your house will not survive. As the great philosopher and prophet Ice Cube said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Jesus continues in verse 27. He says, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. See, the crash happened not because God didn't love them. The crash happened not because God didn't protect them. The crash happened not even because of the storm. We all have storms. At some point, life will call your number. It's just gonna happen. No, the crash happened because they had built their life on something that could not sustain them. Jesus is saying, look, if you live in me, if you connect to me, your life will be rock solid. But anything else, anyone else, anywhere else, religion, political structures, Wealth, economies, politicians, governments, education, jobs, careers, yourself, it will all come crashing down. Notice that the houses, the differences between the houses, similarities and differences. They, they look the same on the outside. Both houses looked good. Both houses had finely appointed amenities. Both houses were like, man, that, that, that is a nice house. But the storm exposed the foundation. The craftsmanship, the attention to detail, the time, the money, the energy put into building the houses were all there. But the foundation couldn't sustain it. And the storm came. Because when you don't just listen when you don't just check the boxes, when you don't just take in the knowledge, but instead you take what God is saying and you put it into practice, that act of faith will change everything about your life. It doesn't have to be perfect. You're not gonna do it perfect. God doesn't expect you to do it perfect. Nobody does it perfect. You're gonna blow it. You're gonna, you're gonna have stuff that you believe that you don't do. But if you begin to go, God, in this area, I'm gonna just, I, I can't, it feels like such a long journey to take all of this and put it into practice, but I'm gonna take this thing and I'm gonna start doing this thing. I can do this. I can put this into practice. And that's why no matter who you are or what you believe, like we always challenge and invite people from the moment they show up here to take a next step, to just begin trying this stuff out, to treat it like an experiment if you want to. Because you may be unsure if God is real, but if you take what he says and the wisdom of Jesus and you begin to do it and practice it and begin living it out, Something will happen in your life and you will, begin God, you will begin to see God show up in your life in undeniable ways. And that tiny little seed of faith will explode into a life-giving reality in your soul. And I, I can't explain it perfectly. 
because there's a mystery that's wrapped up in faith. But I do know this, and you begin to do it, something changes in your life. God doesn't want you to have knowledge about him. He wants you to be near him and to know him. He, he, and he doesn't hang out on the corner of belief and knowledge. He lives at the intersection of faith and life. He lives in the place where we trust him enough for our believing to become doing. Because when it comes to God, when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to faith, it's the doing that makes the difference. Unapplied truth is like unapplied paint. It doesn't do anybody any good. Nobody comes to your house and you're like, look at this can of paint, you guys. Isn't Have you ever seen a color like this paint it coats so well you don't have to put it on twice have you put it on the wall no but look at this can of paint the value of the paint is in the application my goal every single week is to come in here and pop open a can of paint and stir it up really good and then hand you the bucket and hand you the brush and to make it easy as easy for you as i know how to make it for you to go home and start painting your house But you got to take it, and you got to go apply the paint. You got to go home to your job and your school, your life, your family, and you have to do it. You got to apply it. And it's the worst analogy ever because painting is terrible. I should make a note to myself if I ever preach this message again, not use a paint analogy. It makes me not want to do it, all right, because it's a painting. Jesus says, if you don't, you're like a man or a woman who built their house on a foundation that will not survive a storm. It might look good on the outside for a few weeks or months or years, but eventually the storm will come, a pandemic will hit, an economy will crash, a job will be lost, a relationship will fall apart, an election will happen, and how you thought it was all going to go, everything that you thought was secure will be gone, will be shaken. People will hurt you and life will punch you in the face. And it's what you do, it's the application. Not what you know, not what you believe, not what you intend, not what you think, not what you hope for, not what you pray for that determines what you experience. See, because there's a rock solid place that you can build your life, there's a foundation that cannot be shaken. And when you do, you will experience a rock solid love for your love starved heart. You will have a rock-solid pardon from all of your past. You won't be owned by your past. You can step into the future God has for you. God will give you a rock-solid identity in the place of uncertainty and insecurity. You will have a rock-solid future in eternity. And I know we don't like to talk about like our mortality at all, but last time I checked, the mortality rate of humanity is still right about 100%, and so you are not gonna get out of here alive. You are going to spend eternity somewhere. And when you step into a relationship with Jesus, you have a rock-solid eternity for your soul. You also have a rock-solid mission and purpose for your life right now. And when you read the scriptures and you listen to Jesus teach, you actually, you quickly learn that you were created to be something and to do something. That it's not about me, that God is at work all over the planet and that he's engaging me with his love and drawing me into a relationship so that I can step into his work and his mission. See, because your faith will come alive when his mission becomes your mission. 
And that's true of me, and that's true of you, and that's true of our church as well, that we're here to love and to serve this valley, to let people know that the world is shaky and it may be unsure, but there's a God who loves them and his love and his life are rock solid. I, um, I ran across this story from our Costa Mesa campus, and I, I loved it a ton. I wanted to share it with you. Take a look. Why today? What made you decide that today is the day to get baptized? It's my commitment to go all in all with in. my family. I'm here. All Let's right. do it all. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. And we're going to put you all the way under <laughs> your hair and everything. That's okay, fine. don't try and uh, save the makeup. Okay, yeah, no. You believe God loves you. I do. I promise to. Hi, I'm Lisa. My mom, Debbie, daughter, Emily, three generations, and we're getting baptized today. <laughs> we started attending South Hills two years ago. It's my personal first time being involved with the church. I was never a church person. We came actually to watch my stepson, Ricky, play in the band, and we've been here ever since. Over <laughs> the last two years, it's just been letting my walls down a little bit, hearing the worship, hearing the Bible and the lessons it has for us in a way that is so relatable, so non-intimidating. God is there looking out for me. And if, if I stumble, if I fall, it's only because there's a lesson there to learn. And before, that was all on me. And that's a heavy burden to carry for yourself and for your family. But when you let it go, it's like, I can do anything. I just, I feel like I'm at the right place at the right time. And I feel that taking the next step of baptism will help me push me forward to continue to learn and be a better human. And just, I'm, I'm excited about today. I went on the trip, the mission trip to Puerto Rico. I really like got closer to God because I got to see like what he does, not just here. And the people that I met there like really helped me realize that I did need to let go and let him take control over my life. The sense of like comfort after I prayed was just like absolutely insane. It was like a hug. It was like, okay, like he did that so I could become who I am today. And I think that's why I think I've chosen to get baptized today. As a child, I never really went to church didn't go to church until I met my husband, Greg. From then on, we went to church. We, went to, we were trying different churches. I actually came to this church when Lisa Lynn had asked me to help bake and bring some treats <laughs> for Easter. And then next Sunday and the following Sunday, and I loved it. I'm just so happy here. It just makes so much more sense. And I always wanted to be baptized, but I didn't feel that it was right for me that I didn't know enough, I wasn't at church enough, and I didn't feel comfortable until I came here, and now it just, I'm just overjoyed. I'm so excited for this day to be here. This is like a dream come true to me, to actually being baptized with my daughter and now my granddaughter. I, I, I don't even have words, I don't know, it's, my heart is so full. Isn't that awesome? That's why, we, that's why we started our church. That's why we exist. And that's what God is doing in and through our church. I don't know if you noticed in the story, like 
even for them as they share their story, the doing <laughs> made the difference. It was like when I learned this and I started actually like putting it into my life, like God just became so real. And so that's why we actually launched their church last October. Uh, and the truth is, there are tons of those stories sitting right here in this room. And, and, and it's been amazing in this last 10 months to watch God unfold something really, really beautiful and powerful and life-giving. And now we're actually getting ready to take an, another step because what you may not know is that over in that other room where all of our kids are, um, it, it's, it's full. We have way more, we have more adults than kids, but they meet in a room that's less than half of this size. And so while we have tons more room to grow in here, things are maxed out and pretty chaotic over there. And so we have a decision to make and there's something for us to do. And so on September 26th, in just about a month, we're actually going to go from having one service to having two services. And um, we're doing that because our church cannot continue to grow. We can't continue to reach people and have people experience God's love if there's no place for their kids to go. And so we're going to have two services so that we actually can continue to move forward and, and, and grow, grow and see people's lives changed by God's love. And, and while it's a little scary and there's all kinds of things for us to figure out, it's clear what we need to do. After all, why are we here? Why do we exist? What's, what's the foundation of our church? We're not here to just talk about stuff. We're not here to just learn stuff about God. We're here to actually do it, to live it out, to love people. We have work to do. There's a lot of people in this valley. And they're more moving in every, every week. And regardless of how you feel about that, like God has given us this task of loving people and reaching families and reaching kids and reaching into this valley and loving them and, and bringing them into a place where they can experience community and hope and ultimately have their life changed by faith in Jesus. So we have work to do. We have people to reach. Just imagine for a minute what God could do if we all together began to lean in to where we're going. Because it's what you do. It's not what you know. It's not what you believe. It's not what you intend or think or hope for or pray for or determine. And listen, I'm not saying none of those, th those things don't matter. They matter immensely. But if you do those things, but you don't actually get up and then go live it, you will not experience what Jesus is talking about. It's not a matter of earning because it cannot be earned. It's not a matter of working our way to heaven and working our way into God's good graces because you can't. It's a response to his love and his grace. It's about where you're building your life. By the way, grace isn't opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude though, but effort is an action and grace is not opposed to effort. So my question for you this morning, and we're going to pray, where are you building your life? Where are you building your house? What in your life needs some paint, needs some truth, needs some faith applied to it? What are you going to do? Let's pray.